Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week in episode 39, we're discussing Excalibur 38, Out on a Limbo, the second of three, count them three, issues of a mini crossover known as the Prometheum Exchange, starring Excalibur and the West Coast Avengers and Doctor Doom and, you guessed it, Limbo, which you'd think would be a good time, but in any case, this episode certainly will be. Excalibur number 38 was originally published in June 1991, and the creative team is Scott Lobdell on writing, Mark Badger on pencils and inks, Brad Banqueta on colors, Spike on letters, and Terry Cavanaugh on editing. Excalibur. Is it true? Take it quickly! I am very excited to talk to this week's guest about this issue and maybe a bunch of stuff that's not in this issue. We'll see how it goes. But first, your regular limbo dwellers. I am Dr. Anna Papard. I feel like I've defaulted lately into saying that I just do stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, I study <laughs> comics and pop culture, especially gender and sexuality therein, and write about those things in lots of places, including my award-winning anthology called Super Sex, Sexuality, Fantasy, and the Superhero. I'm also a person who will always hold space in my heart for the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon, featuring romancy times between one Kurt Wagner and one Wanda Maximoff, who just so happened to team up in this comic. That's certainly interesting. I will also usually say that I'm Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, but I'm a bit nervous about claiming that title today since our guest perhaps has been on the case longer than me but anyway we need to get to that guest so let's get through <laughs> these intros mav if you'd like to reintroduce yourself to our fans hi it's more promethean exchange um <laughs> <laughs> my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav and <laughs> oh i'll try to be better okay um uh, my name is christopher maverick but you can call me mav and i um i am not looking forward to talking about this book, but I am looking forward to the conversation for today. So that's better, right? I study comics and pop culture and cultural studies, and I uh, work at a whole bunch of different universities teaching that. <laughs> and I'm often very tired, but I'm very excited to talk about what I would call a feeble, poor, but typical issue of the Promethean Exchange, where we do good things and try to be excellent while we remarkably 
I'm doing a bit like as I always do during this thing, and it's not going to make sense to anybody except for like maybe three or four listeners. But those three or four listeners just listened to what I said, and they're like, "Yes, awesome." So, <laughs> but any, but anyway, when I'm not doing this, I host another podcast called Box Popcast. You know, go go listen there too. And I'm going to turn it over to Andrew so we can get to the guests because this is there's a lot to say on this one. There's a lot to say about very little. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what's your mood going into this week? Hey, I'm Dr. Andrew DeMann. I am a lecturer at St. Jerome's University and project lead for the Claremont Run, uh, a big Claremont study with a social media wing that you should check out. I'm still sad that we're in limbo and Ilyana's not here, which mm -hmm. feels like going home for Christmas, but your parents are Are we in limbo or are we in some other place? Oh, <laughs> I'm not getting into that yet. <laughs> uh, but... I am a little excited to talk about the fact that Kitty phases two living organisms together and they oh. explode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because that's fun. lots of lots of power usages in this issue that raise questions. But we can certainly talk about that, Andrew. I'll put a I'll put a pin in that and we'll come back to it if you would like. So the pod is thoroughly jazzed to welcome this week's guest, a woman who knows a heck of a lot about Nightcrawler and maybe even more about Nocturne. I would like to welcome to the pod the one, the only, Lisa. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I only know more about Nocturne because there's just less to know about her. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, talk about, we can talk about her a little bit today. I'll tell the listeners just a little bit about you first. So Lisa is an international art dealer extraordinaire, lifelong comic lover and fandom enthusiast, co-host of the Nightcrawler-centric podcast Simply Amazing, should be of interest to our listeners, karaoke legend and Nocturne's best friend forever. <laughs> yes, yes. She has not uh, co-signed that yet, but you know. <laughs> um, I have a feeling that her mailing address is the same mailing address that you've been sending your application to for to be Kurt's PR manager. So yeah. I think we're, we're running into the same issue. Just keeps getting easier, lost in the mail. You've got an easier take. I, I think um, you said there's less to know about her, but like that's always really, really fascinating to me when somebody has a favorite character where you could conceivably collect all of them. There, like, there's no way I could be like, I have every Spider-Man comic. No one has every Spider-Man comic. There's like libraries, maybe, but that's it. You know, but you could, you could get every Nocturne appearance if you wanted to. That's that's a doable thing. Oh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I'm pretty sure. So we'll have that already. <laughs> well, let's talk oh, about yeah. that a little bit. Let's talk about origin stories and let's talk about your fandom a little bit. Yes, so, I love it. So I've known of you for a long time, but oh you know, goodness. through, well, I mean, I didn't really know who you were, but you used to run the Night Scrawlers fan forum, I believe. Back in the day, yes, way back, back in, the day. in the day. And that was a really important kind of space for my fandom when I was first getting into X-Men comics. Both it and the comic book resources Nightcrawler Forum were yes. marked in my probably Mozilla browser at the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit, but let's start with your comic book origin story. When did you first get into comics and what got you into comics? Uh, it's so funny because, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Um, and what really got me into X-Men in general, I have a very similar origin story to like a lot of people in my generation, which is the, the animated series from the 90s. Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, that was the, you know, it's so funny because when I see kids of like, or teenagers, like Gen Zers now, when I see them talk about how the Avengers are like the biggest thing ever and how important the Avengers are, I'm just like, no guys, do you have, do you have any idea how important the X-Men were when I was a kid? Like the X-Men were everything. So um, for me, that was, it was, you know, the animated series, but really what attracted me most to any character ever was 
there was the Mar the Marvel trading cards from the 1990s. I used to collect them and we used to trade them in elementary school and I loved them. And there was a Jim Lee card of Nightcrawler of him and he was sticking to a wall. And I remember looking at him and I remember being like, he was the only character I had seen at that moment that didn't look human and wasn't beast because I did not look beast. Um <laughs> <laughs> Was not a fan of Beast. So, because, um, you know, Beast is a guy who wears glasses and reads. And I was like a 10-year-old girl. I'm not interested in that, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm so wow. Oh, my gosh. My life. Wow. Cut that, cut that out. Cut it out. Cut it out. Wow. <laughs> I've just made so many enemies. Back then. Now, I'm, I'm single, gentlemen. Come come at me now. But back then, I was, it was not, it was not what I was into as a 10 year old girl. But yeah, I just, I just was really interested in this character that looks looks so different. And I was, you know, so that got me into X-Men. And then later I got into X-Men Evolution um, when I was in college. And that's what got me into the Night Scrawlers forum and reading the comics. The first comics I ever actually read were the Exiles comics, which is why Nocturne is what really, oh. um, yeah. So that's what really uh, attracted me there. Because I really, I started researching more about Nightcrawler uh, once I was watching X-Men Evolution, because it reminded me of how much I loved the character back when I was a kid, like finding out more information. And then I found out about Nocturne and I was like, what the hell is this about? Okay, let me, and that's, I started reading Exiles and that's how I got in. So what's your kind of history with Excalibur? So would you have gone Exiles and then probably like read Excalibur later? Yes, I, I did Exiles first and then I went back and read Excalibur. So do you have any thoughts about kind of the relationship between those two things? Like I think we've mentioned on the pod before kind of the possibility that Exiles is something of sort of a cultural successor to Excalibur in some ways. I mean, particularly particularly Crosstown Caper, of course. I totally think so. I, I, I agree 100%. Um, I think it's really interesting that they chose Kurt's daughter to be yeah. in a team that's going to be jumping around from, you know, reality to reality, uh, you know, fixing things, which isn't really what the cross timekeeper was necessarily. But you know, they, that's what they did. They went around reality to reality, you know, having their adventures. I mean, the exiles have a bit more of a specific task in every reality they have to do. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's very cool you know it's it's interesting how the parallels between the two for sure yeah i mean i think one of the things we talked about with cross time caper is like well, what, what was their mission on the cross time caper yeah. did they actually fix anything or solve anything or were they just trying to get themselves out of trouble most of the time i think they just made it worse and then the kids had to go clean <laughs> yeah. it up you know the exiles had to go clean all their crap up now yeah it wasn't a mission they were they they were lost they left on accident they weren't trying to go anywhere on cross time caper it's true <laughs> well let, let's talk a little bit about your specific affection for nocturne like what particularly draws you to this character why do you love her i love her because i you know i talked about this i we recorded an episode about Nocturne recently for Simply Amazing, which I don't know when that's going to come out eventually, probably after this. <laughs> but uh, really what drew me to her was she was a character who had a very similar upbringing to me because she was raised in a suburb of New York City by parents who loved her in a stable environment. She went to a public high school, just like a normal kid. And I don't know, that really, that attracted me to her a lot. The other thing was like, she is someone who doesn't look human. She, she's very unhuman looking, but she's super, super comfortable in her skin and in her body. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. that, as someone who was not that way when I was younger, also attracted me very much to her. 
but um it, it, i think it was also a circumstance thing i mean i loved night i loved nightcrawler already i found her and she was at the time when i was reading that book i was 20 years old and i was leaving home for the first time to go to college to go away cuz my first couple years in college i stayed home and then i went away for the first time ever so i was leaving for the first time to go away to college forever and now i'm reading this book about this girl who had a similar upbringing to me who was like in exile away from her family and it, it just i it, there was that click that connection Oh, I love that. That makes so much sense to me. I mean, yeah, I really love Nocturne too. I mean, I I have a little bit of a weird thing because I tend to identify with male characters a little bit more. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it has to do with, you know, me being a bit weird about my own gender. But I mean, I I mean, weird in a positive way. I don't mean weird in a bad way. I think we should all be weird (laughs) about our genders. I support that. Um, But yeah, and you know, just for me, I find it a little bit of a more, I don't know, I like kind of escaping into male characters. And that really like appeals to me. But I I mean, I do love Nocturne dearly. I mean, I love the way that she's so... I can see sort of the Kurt in her in so many ways, but she sort of takes it a step further. Like, I think you and I were talking online at one point and talking about that body positivity and the sex positivity. And it's like, Nocturne is that, but like dialed up to 11, like way more than Kurt. And I love that. Oh, like Nocturne is sex positivity, but like to the point where Kurt's like, go upstairs and change. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> like she's the one who's like le- trying to leave the house in the outfit that her parents are like, absolutely not go upstairs and change. Yeah. So she just yeah, she she knows she's got it and she flaunts it and she I love it for her. Aww, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about sort of the Kurt Wanda relationship and your affection for that. But I think we'll talk about that after we do the issue summary. But yes. would you be interested in talking a little bit about sort of your involvement in fan culture, though, before we get into that? Like, I mean, you talked a little bit about you started the Night Scrawlers Forum sort of when you're in college and you're through your fandom of X-Men Evolution and stuff. But are there any sort of, well, I mean, how do I want to phrase this? It's like every X-Men character has their own fandom and each fandom sort of has a different character. And I definitely have seen different fandoms and the ways that they operate and like seen that in action and I don't want to like ever rank fandoms because they're all so different but I have encountered like a particular passion among Nightcrawler fans that it's just like people are into that character in this way that is so passionate and I certainly experienced that myself like as someone who was very deeply involved in fandom I mean do you have any insight about why people sort of affiliate so strongly with this character or where that particular passion for this character comes from I mean I'm going to speak on my own specific experience you know and I don't want to speak for anyone one thing I do want to say is I didn't specifically create the Night Scrollers uh, forum I want to give credit where it's due it was created by a gentleman named Christopher and he's a good friend of mine we've been friends for over 20 years now and you know he's out there probably listening so hi Christopher um (laughs) but um I and I joined after and I, I helped him administrate it for years but as far as the the passionate fandom for Nightcrawler I think a lot of us who are fans of him see ourselves in him a little bit and I think that's why we are so protective and are so we feel so close to him as a character he's a character that really just embodies that idea of the misfit but he doesn't let it get to him the way that so many of us do who maybe grew up feeling like a misfit or feeling like we didn't fit in which I'm gonna say I mean that's basically really most people who grew up reading comic books are people right who didn't feel like we fit in a lot of us did so I, 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 again, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for everybody, but personally, I have found that a lot of, as far as demographics go for the people who like had joined our Nightcrawler forum, it was a lot of 
female members, a lot of uh, LGBT members. So it just seemed to be like a lot more like minority members or like not like it wasn't like a your typical what we would expect from your typical like a comic book fandom makeup, right? It was more female, more LGBT, more kind of geared in a it was geared in a little bit of a different direction than your typical like straight male comic base that you would expect in a lot of places, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. And I mean, yeah, I've certainly talked about Nightcrawler being a character that appeals to female gazes as well as queer gazes, like lots on this podcast and then in my various writing, right? So I mean, that makes sense to me. And that is consistent with my experience as well. And I mean, again, I'm not saying that the fandom for any character is incredibly diverse, but it's just sort of the oh, prominent yes. presence of, of female fans in that fandom is significant, given we're talking about comic books in which women often don't have a prominent presence. But um, any any stories that you want to share from those forum days? I know that you had prominent creators stop by that forum from time to time, including Dave Cockrum and I believe one Chuck Austin. Yes, we, uh, Dave Cockrum actually had his own section of the, uh, him and his wife, they had their own little section of the forum called the Cockrum Corner, and they used to stop in all the time and, and just tell us stories from like the old days. And, uh, Patey was very, uh, his wife Patey was very opinionated about what was going on in Marvel, which was always fun to like listen to the stories about, you know, what they thought was happening. And I, Let's be real. Everybody, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody, you know, they liked what they were doing back then. And, you know, but it was always fun to listen to what they had to say. Um, Dave did once. So do you remember a couple years, a couple months ago, Dave's son posted the uh, Nightcrawler, the Nightcrawler yeah. Goes Down picture? Yeah. So what's funny about that was like 20 years ago, we had a, a special forum on the Night Scrawlers website that had, it was a hidden forum that was just for the moderators and Dave. And I remember Dave had a whole thread of a ton of pictures like that. And I went back after he posted it and it's gone. It's, I mean, the whole site, the site is, is kind of like a ghost town now. There's really not much, a lot going. Like, I know they have like a role-playing game that they're doing there now, but it, as far as fandom, there's not a lot going on there anymore. So a lot of stuff just isn't backed up. But I was very sad to see that that, didn't exist anymore because it was um yeah it was just he had drawn a lot of very interesting pictures of his x-men in very interesting um situations i was sure that i'd seen those cockroom pictures before when his son shared them online and i'm like i don't know how i would have seen them before but someone must have sent them to me at some point and i was wondering if it had been funneled through your forum I would not be surprised if they had somehow made it off the forum and through somewhere else because they were there for a long time. And like Dave loved sharing them. Like he <laughs> he was very proud of them. Like he loved them. Like he, yeah. Like I think I, I wish I could remember the name of the thread he made because it was something like nudiness or dirtiness. I don't know. It was something funny, but I, oh. <laughs> he was, he was just a really funny guy and he was just a, he was just a pleasure to have around to talk to and to like learn these things from. And it was also interesting just to learn kind of like what his initial intentions were for the character, kind of what they ended up doing with the character that he didn't agree with, you know, but it's one of those things. What Once you've kind of created something and then you, you know, let it go, you got to, you know, you got to let it go. So, you know, he, you have to come to terms with what then happens to it after that. Although, you know, I know for Dave, Kurt was a character that was super close to his heart. So 
I remember one thing that they told me once was they used to say that their favorite relationship for Kurt was Wanda. They liked the idea of the Kurt-Wanda relationship because Patey's favorite character is Magneto. So, and Dave always considered himself Nightcrawler. Like Kurt was kind of his... His he considered himself Nightcrawler in the books, like that was his self insert almost, like to the point where in the comics, Kurt's birthday is November 11th, and that's Dave Cockrum's birthday. Yeah, so so they used to say that they loved the idea of Nightcrawler and Scarlet Witch getting together because it's like them as a relationship too. Oh, <laughs> I know, isn't that cute? Mm-hmm. That is cute. Well, do you have do you have any Chuck Austin tidbits for us? Because love revisiting the Chuck Austin X Men because you would have been active on that forum when the Draco happened, I believe. Oof, I don't know what I should share about the Chuck Austin stuff. Uh, see, the Chuck you don't Austin have stuff. To. I mean, I was I was there for a little bit of it. I'll say that he was very excited about the Draco when it was coming out. He was pumping it up. He was telling us it was going to be the greatest thing. It was going to be really good, and it was going to be like it's going to be a game changer. He would tell us like Kurt's father has already appeared in the comics. So we're all like trying to guess, Oh my God, is it Mephisto? <laughs> who is it? He's like, it's, he's already appeared in the comics, but not by the same name that he's going to show up with here. So it's like, so who could it possibly be? Like, we're all like banging our heads, like who, who, who? And then it's the devil. And it's just like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him coming back much after the Draco. I got to be honest. I feel like after the Draco, he just like, he just didn't really come back much. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I don't even hate his X-Men as much as a lot of people do. I, in retrospect, find it very over the top and humorous. So I will give it like a little bit of a shine there. I have become a Chuck Austin apologist. Like when I first <laughs> read it back in the day and Chuck Austin's X-Men was some of the first X-Men comics I ever read. So yeah. the fact that I'm still an X-Men fan, I mean, it's like... <laughs> knock on wood like right but um i mean listen if i'm not if i'm still an x-men fan now after that i'm there's nothing's gonna get me out of this fandom so let's be real a good place to start because it could only go up from there right if right exactly where else could it possibly go but um i've become a chuck austin apologist because i i just feel that his stories are they're fantastic so i love x-men do you know what i also love i also love real housewives and do you know what chuck austin is chuck austin is like real housewives of x-men it's the that same level <laughs> okay i can see that Sorry. interpretation yeah it's that same level of insane drama i mean alex threatens to pee on Bobby. What? This, like, is there anything more iconic that Havoc has done ever? <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, like, word one could use. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You guys did not know what you were getting into when you got me on this oh, show. No, no, no. Too. We're enjoying so Sorry. <laughs> this. I have no, no complaint. that's fair. Yeah, and I said that like I like some of the over the topness of Austin. I don't know how I would have reacted if I was reading it like in the moment, but certainly looking back, I have kind of an affection for the zaniness. In the moment, I was I was reading it with a very open mind, and I remember being like, I think I I I think I think I like this. Like yeah. <laughs> I think I can get behind this. But then by the end of it, I, I think the nail in the coffin for me for the Draco specifically was like I was like I was willing to just be like I think I can I think I can accept this until the very end where Kurt's like you know what Xavier you're my real father and I'm like okay 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 that th- this whole story was just for that okay never mind never mind I-, I can't I can't accept it I can't do it I like that that's the straw that broke you that was it that was it it was just like I can't I can't do this I can't have Kurt just be like I'm gonna accept this gaslighter to be my father after mm. the devil <laughs> said he was my father like ugh. Yeah, it's not a huge improvement given Kurt's history with Xavier. So yeah, I could see your opinion there. 
no. I love, by the way, that we're like 25 minutes in and we have yet to even talk about the issue. That's how I much know. we all we're, hate the issue. We're, we're going to get there. I was going to say, no, we, no, should, I, we should do I'm, the... No, no, no. Let it go. I, like, if, if, we, if we can go for like 35 more minutes, we can just we can just end the episode and there's nothing and that, that's fine. I'm, I love it. No I love it. Well, I, love I want to talk Kurt and Wando. So let's do the issue summary and then we'll get into oh, that discussion fine. and talk about that ship and talk about some of these other things. I love it. Perfect. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. Every one of you is divine, but we will start our limbo into limbo with a plot summary. Excalibur number 38 opens with Alistair Stewart being all of us wondering what the heck is happening. As you'll recall, he was left behind at the lighthouse when Excalibur ported to limbo. As he's waiting on the cliff, the ground starts to rumble and a portal opens and oh no, there's a bunch of boulders heading straight for him. Thankfully, from the seas below, the Lady of the Lake arrives along with the West Coast Avengers consisting of Tigra, Wonder Man, Iron Man, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. As the portal begins to suck stuff in, the Avengers overload it somehow, temporarily closing it. Then the Lady of the Lake sends them through the portal to Limbo even though we just closed the portal. Don't question it. In Limbo, the West Coast Avengers arrive just in time to save Excalibur from being overrun by a demon horde styled as distorted versions of various superheroes. The two teams then split into pairs to close a series of portals threatening the fabric of reality. The teams are Scarlet Witch and Nightcrawler, Megan and Iron Man, Shadowcat and Tigra, Captain Britain and Wonder Man, and Phoenix and Quicksilver. Each of the teams fights a bunch of demons and closes the portal. It's very video game-esque. While this is happening, Dr. Doom is prowling about his limbo castle, chatting with an unnamed demon who's currently all tied up but swears he'll destroy Doom. Doom, however, is unimpressed, talking out loud about his plan to plunge the Soul Sword into the heart of Limbo, which will apparently transform Limbo into a substance called Prometheum, which is some kind of energy source that will allow Doom to control the world, if I'm understanding it correctly. Doom locates the heart of Limbo, and just as the combined might of Excalibur and the West Coast Avengers burst in to stop him, he plunges the sword into the gigantic beating heart of Limbo, and that's the cliffhanger. I want to do first impressions, but I also meant to ask you, Andrew and Mav, about kind of your history with comic book forums and whether you had participated in them in the past. Maybe I'll start with you, Andrew, because I know Mav has, and I don't actually know if you have, Andrew. Um... Yes, not extensively though. Like I, I was never someone who I would say was really integrated into an online community. I was more of like a like a casual browser than anything. So my yeah. experience was was very very different. It was more touristy, I think, than a lot of people who got a lot of like community um, and culture from it directly. Yeah, fair enough. Like I mean, was that sort of were you doing that when you were sort of a teenager or in your twenties or? Yeah, I would say um um late teens, early twenties, uh, and then yeah. again sort of intermittently throughout the years. Yeah. How about you, Mav? Um, yeah. So in the days of yonder, because I'm an old person, um, there used to be a thing on the internet called Usenet. Usenet was yes. predating the World Wide Web. Usenet was a community of what we called news groups or Usenet boards, which were boards devoted to specific topics. So, for instance, there might be a group called uh, Rec for Recreations, and it was like there were separators. So it was like the inverse of like you know how how websites end in dot com. Well, for recreational groups, start with dot dot rec. So it was Rec dot arts dot comics was all about comics. Rec dot arts dot comics dot Marvel was about Marvel comics. 
rec.arts.comics.xbooks was all about the X-Men line of comics within Marvel Comics and and lots of people discussing fandom and their theories about the storylines or helping each other because this was before there was there was wikis so there was no way for a new reader to kind of go I've decided to start reading these these X-Books what's a what's a Summers and why are who's a Phoenix and why is there a timeline and wait whose father is uh, or whose baby is this and you know so so people would just discuss things on this group and that's um particularly the x-books group i was very very active on i was a member of the sunset gang which were people who would just answer <laughs> who would just answer questions um i was gonna you know. say i bet you were i bet you were a question answerer that would have been uh, i was a question answerer that like would intentionally be long-winded and then would when someone wanted to discuss something that i didn't care about like say the work of Rob Liefeld, I would just say, no, I'm out. And I would, because it was, it was very much a character that I could do. <laughs> I could, I would say, no, I hate this. I don't want to talk about this. Um, ask me about Ilyana Rasputin. And that's it. And that's what I would yeah. just do. <laughs> so so it, was, um, it was, it was very much a, you know, practice for the career that I've carved out for myself now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I haven't done a lot of participating in forums, but definitely sort of participating in Nightcrawler forums was a big part of my fandom when I was first getting into X-Men. And I just want to shout it out here because so many of the things that I end up talking about with Nightcrawler on this pod now, and even writing that I've done and everything, a lot of that stuff was like shaped in conversation with fan community, like both in forums and then in fan fiction communities as well. So it sort of becomes this sort of accumulated knowledge because as much as we talk about comic book canon and we, we obviously have comic book fanon as well and sort of the cultural memory of the sort of comic book fanon surrounding this character has shaped my view of this character so much and so yeah I don't know just shout out to fan forums I find them stressful and I don't participate in any right now because of that because I'm sort of like a warrior about tone and like everything and I just I don't know sometimes I can't sort of modulate myself like I put myself out there too much and then that's stressful and then so like I'm not good at that and I suck at Twitter for the same reason I like never tweet anything you are personal. great at twitter Aww. well no well, that's the that's the secret you're great at twitter because you don't do personal you just like you talk about you find your niche you know for instance uh for people who don't know anna runs our twitter for this show so and you're and she does a great and, job yes and she does a great job so, so so she so she's lying um <laughs> i mean to say we don't participate is sort of weird because we have this show right and yeah, that's yeah what this show is and that's what claremont run is right that's what well i mean it's not just comics but that's what vox pop is that's what um three panel contrast is the the internet has sort of progressed beyond the fact the time when forums were just people typing at a single address online now we have the twitterverse and you know and conversations happen that way yeah i totally agree with that yeah yeah i was gonna say lisa like is that your feeling as well sort of have fan forums evolved into other spaces i i just want to say i mean I, I find fandom to be just a truly fascinating thing it's funny total aside but a couple of weeks ago when or a couple months ago when jonathan hickman announced that he was leaving the Xbox and everybody, I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, I mean, Twitter and everything just exploded and everybody's like yeah. freaking out about him leaving mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Me as someone who's been around this, around the block for 20 some odd years, you know, paying attention to all this stuff. I'm just sitting here like, you know, what's going to help you get through it. If the Xbox get bad, you know what helped you get through it? Fandom. Honey, mm -hmm. write a fic about it. Like, yeah. if you don't like what they're writing, then write something. That's the beauty of all of this. And that's what I find so great about fandom. But like, I totally do agree with you that... Yeah, I don't believe that forums, some of the big forums are still out there. I mean, I think mm -hmm. CBR is still around. Um, yes, yeah. 
It is. But as far as like the little little guys, I don't think it's really, uh, I, I don't think people are looking for forums anymore. I think that social media has totally changed the way that we, we use the internet. You know, like what you were saying before, Mav, about, you know, those rooms and like those rooms that you went into, I can't remember, the Usenet, right? Yeah. You know, like there, there, there was a time where, you know, anytime you wanted to find what you wanted, you had to go to that specific site on that right. specific website to find it. Now it's like, all you do is go to Facebook. You could just spend all your time on Facebook and find everything you wanted. You would, you don't have to ever leave Facebook. That's how much like social media has changed the way we kind of consume media online. So that's why I, I think, you know, we, we've kind of moved away from forums, but that's fine because people don't seem to be as interested in forums. They're more interested in things like Twitter and Discord and Instagram and Twitch and Snapchat. And I, I don't know, I'm almost 40. So I, now, now we're getting outside of what I know about. So. I, I'm even older, <laughs> but no, it's, um, it's better. I will say yeah. for, for all the complaints that people have, like, and I get it right. Like, I, like I understand why people hate Facebook. I understand why hate people hate Twitter. I understand the trash fire that they can be. However, I'd be lost without them. Right. Like that's it's part of like my job. To, you know, like literally I'm doing research on, you know, on communities, on, on cultural studies on the Internet. That's like literally I specifically need it. But even as a fan, the ability to self curate the information that comes to me, while in some ways is bad, particularly for like political siloing or what people call being in bubbles. Like I, I get why there's a badness to it. But on the other hand, in those days when I used to use Usenet, I just read all of Records Comics Marvel. And all of Rec Arts Comics DC, right? And if and the X books was a subgroup, but I would, I'd read all of Rec Arts Comics Marvel. And you know, if it was the day when people were just like into talking about 2099, that's what the conversation was that day. And good luck talking about Spider Man, right? Like you just it wasn't going to derail there. Whereas on Facebook, if I want to talk about Spider Man, I post something about Spider Man, and someone will answer me. Like trust me, someone you know, someone <laughs> will answer me. If I when we started this show, it's like you know, this show was us going literally the three of us based on their other show saying oh wow i loved excalibur and like you know <laughs> yeah let's just like yeah wouldn't it be fun to talk about that you know every week for a couple of years and just we'll just go through the entire thing and like so we just decided to do that and it turns out that there are all of you crazy people at home listening going i too would like to talk about excalibur and that's great right like so so like fan community except this yes. issue except this issue no, no, no. We still I, have not I mean, talked about it. We're 36 we're, minutes in. Yeah, yeah 20, more, 20 more minutes and we're out. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> Let's work through this. We can, we can, this we can make it. This is a filibuster at this point. <laughs> I feel like we've been like, we've been infiltrated by like Bizarro Mav, who's like anti-Excalibur, just for this episode. I've. I'm. I made it clear. Go back and listen to the first episode. I made That's it clear true. that That's there true. was an arc, that there was an arc of this series that I hated and I despised, and, and we're here now. <laughs> and I will sit through a lot of uh, a lot of other stuff, but the the That's less true. we can talk about Promethean Exchange, the better. Well, I do want to talk about it, but can I ask you, Andrew, first? Because obviously, you've been doing this like social media project about Claremont, which you know we've mentioned on the pod before, was basically responsible for getting me back into X Men comics, which is the entire reason we're doing this podcast so i mean what's your kind of experience there been like do you find that you have that interactive relationship with the people who participate in claremont run where you're kind of learning from them even as you're putting that knowledge out in the world yeah i think so i, I think you get it directly just in terms of like you know interactions on comment sections and stuff like that but you mm -hmm. also get it indirectly just because x twitter is a community so mm -hmm. you know you, you talk with the other people who are um, doing the kind of the same thing you're doing or doing podcasts stuff like that you guest on their podcast yeah it's it, it's 
it's it's really nice. And like as I said, I'm someone who wasn't on the Usenets the way Mav was. I wasn't answering anyone's question. I was the creepy guy just stealing your information and <laughs> my own little corner of the world with it. Um, so no, it, it's it's been nice for me. It's been very unexpected for me. Like I, like I really wanted to create a project that was um, what we call symmetric, uh, where it's not just an academic you know lectures at the front of the classroom. Everybody writes it down. It's a situation where you're learning from all these different perspectives. You're acknowledging different perspectives constantly learning yourself as opposed to just you know that that weird thing academics do where they pretend that they have mastery over their subject or something like that so yeah no i, I think exactly as matt's saying twitter twitter is great i mean the hyperlinks the 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 images all, all that stuff it's it's a new way to disseminate information and it's a much more engaged way to do so in my view anyway i like the equality of it too i mean <laughs> this sounds this sounds really silly for you know this is a show hosted by three academics. You two have another show also hosted by another academic. I have another show hosted by four <laughs> other academics. Like this is literally what we do, like nerds all the time. And yet we can have a conversation. You know, if you just look at the people who answer us on Gosh Golly Wow, right? Like it's us talking about our nerdy little thing where we pretend that Claremont is, you know, Tolstoy. And, you know, <laughs> that's how we analyze them. That's, I mean, Andrew, that's your entire life, right? <laughs> but at this point, yes, I don't ever want to read Tolstoy, though. So. Yeah, right. But I mean, like, but but we, you know, we we do this academic thing. But being able to engage with people who are not, you know, intending to go out and get a PhD and talking about funny books, you know, people who, you know, people who are just like fans is great. That's where Lisa's community comes in, right? Like to to be able to be on equal footing. And have conversations where sometimes you want to talk about, you know, subtle queer coding over a 30 year arc or, or you know, of, of Marvel Comics. And sometimes you just want to talk about how great and or awful a certain storyline is. And the same people are there, right? The same people are there for me if I want to rave about, you know, about Alan Davis or, you know, complain about this run as would be there to listen to. I mean, do you remember we had this we had an episode where Andrew and I sat around and talked about like theoretical physics for 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> and people and people wrote about us and we're like, that's great. And I'm like, thank you. Cause I'm just a nerd. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, since I'm the host of this podcast, I'm going to veer away from the theoretical physics to talk about romance. Oh, oh that's fine. I thought, I thought you were going to say, it. I thought you were going to say the issue and I'm like, eh. well, I mean, we can, we can do our first impressions if you want. I think our first impressions are going to be like, we don't have a lot of positive things to say about this, issue, but we can get into some of the specifics oh, sure. that perhaps through, through this conversation, because I wanted to ask Lisa about the Kurt yes. Wagner and Wanda Maximoff ship, which we mentioned when you're talking about Dave and, and Patty. So what particularly draws you to this ship? And for our readers or listeners, for our listeners who aren't aware in the universe that Nocturne comes from, Kurt and Wanda are Nocturne's parents. And yes. this pairing did make it to some extent into the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon where there was a romance tease between Kurt and Wanda in that property and it hasn't been in the comics as yet. They don't have a ton of interactions excluding this issue which they do have interactions though I think they leave something to be desired but so this comic book would have taken place like long before um, Nocturne was created as a character so that ship hadn't really been present you know in canon at that point but still we have it here and we have some of the connections 
connections between these two characters in terms of their backstories and even their ways of approaching superheroism perhaps teased. But I'll come back to that question that I did ask you before I went on a tangent, Lisa, which is (laughs) what draws you to these characters? What makes this your one true pairing? You know, I'm actually looking, I'm trying to see what year did this issue come out? Because I was just trying to... Uh, It should be 91. 91. So it's almost 10 years exactly from when they, from when Nocturne, not when Nocturne was created, but when when Wanda was made her mother. Okay, so what draws me to the pairing? Well, I mean, it goes, it really comes back to Nocturne in general. I just, you know, I, I, that's really what started me with the pairing was just, I loved her so much. And then the more I looked into it, the more I just really fell in love with the pairing because they're two characters who just really does, they just really deserve happiness. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get, let, let, I'm not going to get into the Wanda of it all. I don't want to get into a whole, let's, the pretender, the decimation conversation. However, all she wants is to have her kids and have her husband and just like leave her alone. Like she's the Britney Jean Spears of the, of the, of the, of the Marvel universe. She doesn't want all this stuff. She doesn't want to be this super powerful being. She just wants to have kids and have a family and be happy. That's all she wants. And you know what? Kurt wants the same thing. So let him have it. Enough. Stop making them unhappy. Stop making them do un- like awful things. Stop making them have babies in other universes and then having them see those babies and then having them rip those babies from them. Yeah. I, I'm just, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little heated about Age of X-Men right now. Um, yeah, Age of X-Men. It's just, it's just like, this just seems to be a thing with both of these characters. It's like, they both desperately want these familial connections. They both have incredibly similar pasts. Uh, they both have like their Romani culture past, like past. They they were raised in a Romani culture. They were raised in Europe. They both were raised by adoptive parents, and then they later found out that their actual parents are villains. You know, it's like just their whole backstories are just like parallel backstories that bring them to their superhero roles that they have today. And then the other thing I find fascinating is just in general, the world that is built around Nocturne's world, which is Earth 2182, which is a world where the X-Men are hated and the Avengers are loved. And then there's a child of both. And I would love to see, you know, more of that and what it means. Mm -hmm. And you know, that kind of thing, because, it, you know, they, they did do one, one issue that took place in her world during Exile's run. But I, I mean, they really just didn't get a chance to actually get into anything. But um, yeah, I mean, that's really what kind of draws me to it. And it's interesting you bring up the whole Wolverine and the X-Men thing, because I have, this is unconfirmed, but I'm going to say this. And, you know, if anyone wants to like write in and say you're absolutely wrong, you can say that, but I'm just going <laughs> to go ahead and say it. Chris Yost used to actually hang around the Night Scrawlers forum a lot. Back in the day, when he was writing for X-Men Evolution, he used to hang around. And I was known as the crazy girl who loved Nocturne and loved Kurt and Wanda. And this was well known in the forum. And then he went on to write Wolverine and the X-Men. And he kind of made a comment that made it seem like I inspired that him to kind of put that into it. Whoa. But I don't, want to, I don't want to take credit for it and be like, oh my God, Do it's it. definitely... But like... I, yes. Okay, guys. It was all me. It was all me, guys. It was all me. It was all me. But the saddest thing ever that I did learn is that Nocturne was going to be in the second season of Wolverine oh. and the X-Men. They, yeah. That's what that's what they were heading towards because she was going to show up with the, you know how Xavier was in the future? She was going to show up with the future X-Men oh. with Xavier. Would have been so good oh i have i mean i have a huge soft spot for that show i mean my favorite oh, so night crawl, my favorite non-comics nightcrawler has got to be that show i mean no contest i mean that was I like romancy romancy pirate nightcrawler is my jam so mm-hmm. i mean there was an 
episode of that show called Excalibur. I mean, what yes. more could I ask for? I mean, yeah, I, I liked Evolution Nightcrawler a lot, but I mean, he's so different from the comics. I mean, mm-hmm. Wolverine and the X-Men Nightcrawler is like the closest to the comic Nightcrawler that you can yeah. get, for sure. So yeah. if we're talking about the, the romantic ship, I, I would actually really like to deflect this to Anna. Because, Anna, you're on record in, in several forums as being a massive Scarlet Witch Vision fan. Oh, my God. Okay. We're going to have it out right now. So how does that compare <laughs> oh! when you see Scarlet Witch? Oh, wait, do we need popcorn? In this comic. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I I was thinking about that because I do like the idea of Kurt and Wanda. And, I mean, I'm easily sold on romance. So <laughs> if anybody writes, like, a story in which there's just a panel and they look at each other and are interested, I'm just going to be like, oh, my God, my heart. So I'm, I'm a very sort of easy shipper that way but my one question about the Kurt Wanda relationship though in terms of sort of getting my head around it is just because my conception of Wanda in terms of my you know being invested in Vision and Wanda and when I say invested in Vision and Wanda this has come up on the pod before but I don't have a lot of expectations around that I mean that relationship is from a million years ago now so I don't like I loved it at the time but I don't I'm not sort of invested in it continuing necessarily it's sort of that ship has sailed etc but um I don't know it's just that I think about Wanda's affection for Vision being connected to his roboticness and you know both on an emotional and a physical level perhaps and then there's a contrast with that and Nightcrawler who's a very sort of bodily character who has sort of animalistic traits is sort of like the opposite of Vision in so many ways and I think that that could be really interesting in a story you know thinking about those oppositions and thinking about her being attracted to a very different type of man but it's something that I don't really have if I was going to write that fan fiction I don't have it quite figured out for myself sort of how my conception of Wanda being someone who's so centrally defined with being in love with Vision and with Vision being sort of the only person she's really been in love with since she was also in love with Simon who was also Vision so yeah so there's that for me but I'm not against it I'm not against it Lisa like I support that as a ship and but that's just it's, sort of yeah it's okay you don't it's you don't have to qualify it it's, it's totally fine I'll, I'll just come out and say you know sometimes when you're with a man for a little while and then you're not with that man anymore sometimes you're like I gotta go with someone completely different maybe that's what happened but I <laughs> I think Kurt would be a great stepfather. So, uh, you know, it's just, there's just, there's just, there's just no downside to this for me. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. And I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting things that you could do with that in terms of their backgrounds and in terms of the ways that, I don't know. I mean, I kind of see Kurt as somebody that should be sort of with a powerful woman and being kind of her support because he's so good kind of in that team context and he's so divined by emotional empathy and stuff. So I like the idea of him being in that role and a number of his relationships have been like that. You know, I mean, Amanda a little bit less so because when they were sort of together for the most part, she wasn't quite the powerful kind of person she would become. I mean, more in the Ellis comics, their relationship was a little bit more like that. Mm -hmm. But like certainly his relationship with Cerise, she's a big, powerful lady and he's pretty into that so yeah literally huge i know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i don't know i can see there being a lot of potential there and again definitely i I remember in um connor from cerebro when he did his kurt episode he mentioned that like you know kurt is just like a wife guy like he would just be the kind of guy who'd like you know, be like, look at how powerful and great my wife is. And I'm like, that is Kurt, 100%. He would brag about his wife every single day of, of, of his life if he could, you know? He'd just be like, oh my God, my wife is so amazing. Look how powerful she is. She can change the entire world with a wink. Don't make her mad. I can't get behind that interpretation. The other thing I do want to mention about Kurt and Wanda is that there have been Easter eggs that have been planted over the years. And again, one of them was planted by Chris Yost. So maybe it's just him trolling me. 
<laughs> but when the exiles met the un uncanny x-men um which i think chuck austin wrote you know nocturne tells nightcrawler oh yeah by the way scarlet which is my mom and he's like "Ooh, i gotta give her a call because she's hot um <laughs> that's essentially what happens and then later on yeah and essentially and then later on this is like 2015-ish chris yost writes a story where nightcrawler is like pixie's like mentor-ish yeah. And she can't control her powers. So he has Scarlet Witch come, which is an interesting choice because this is after the decimation and after everybody is like, hates her. So like the fact that he's invited her to come um, and that all leads into my whole theory about how she he killed the Scarlet Witch, but that's a whole other thing. But anyway, but there's been like these little Easter eggs that have been planted, I feel like by different writers that put them together that is again maybe i'm being trolled but who knows <laughs> do you think because i know you mentioned age of x-men earlier do you think wanda was supposed to be megan in that story or like the other way around megan was supposed to be wanda huh. no i think i think they were trolling me specifically <laughs> no, not, i don't think they were trolling me specifically i think i think for some reason um, Marvel has decided that all of Kurt's kids' names are TJ now. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's I don't how it know is in X-Men The End as well, yeah. Yeah, that was a weird thing. Like, Claremont did that in X-Men The End, and I think Marvel was just like, oh, okay, then he just names all his kids TJ. And it's like, I don't know any parent who does that, except for Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> like, he yeah. named two of his kids Prince, but that's the only, like, who else does that, you know? George um, Foreman. It's a, you, got, you, got, oh. you, got, you need a certain level of, of fame in order to uh, get it. <laughs> to yeah. Get that. yeah george yeah, Foreman's kids are all named um are all named george he's got five sons and three daughters i think if i remember correctly oh my god did he name his daughters george well, the daughters are like georgina georgette oh my gosh and georgianne oh i think but yes essentially yeah it wow. almost worked with me for me and x-men the end on that level because kurt's a movie star in that world and i'm like yeah maybe <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just I had that kind of like theory in my head about Age of X Men because there's sort of issues with using Megan in that story because you know it's pulling her out of her relationship with Brian and her family and then putting her in that space and there's just like a lot of trauma involved there if you like read it within continuity. Whereas if it had been Wanda, there would have been a lot of thematic elements that made sense there in terms of it sort of being a story about reality warping and stuff and how she would interact with that space and sort of Megan's Romani background was played up in that story as well and then the sort of tj connection and i was just curious about whether that story was meant for wanda and then that the writer is wasn't so allowed interesting to use her. that's so interesting See, i never really even considered that it would have been meant for wanda that is so interesting um i thought the tj thing that they used tj as like a red herring because i think yeah. i thought they were like trying to like throw us off and not make us not think that megan was her mother from the get-go hmm. um because using the name tj we immediately assume that it must be like connected to wanda or or to nocturne or you know it's just it immediately takes us off that so that's what i assume but this is interesting this is something i want to think about now i mean i've asked people about it and mcguire has said she wanted megan and i know that they're a big excalibur fan so it probably was meant for megan but it just occurred to me that that story would have been interesting with wanda in megan's place that's all all right i, I gotta throw this out there right now because we're talking about it um and then i'm on the excalibur podcast and this has come up in on the Nightcrawler in the Nightcrawler forums, mainly because I've been bringing it up. Um, <laughs> do you guys? So there's a possibility right now Megan's pregnant, right? Or it's kind of come oh, up in the books that Megan's yeah. pregnant. Mm -hmm. Do you think the baby is Kurt's? No, no. I don't. Okay. I brought um, it I mean, up in a review to like just bring it up, but I I don't think that's where the story's going personally. I I, I also don't. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I don't. <laughs> it's gonna sound horrible i don't think that they they being marvel as an entity are willing to go anywhere that interesting that's why i don't think mm. it is 
Oh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, if you if you were to do that, that opens up a whole question of what Krakoa is and how we've talked about this a little bit on the show because we haven't really gone too much into that the current run. But I think that Hickman and his team are doing a lot of really innovative pushing the boundaries things with the current run of X-Men. And by pushing the boundaries, I mean as far as one can push the boundaries of a corporate entity owned by Disney in 2021. And and that's, you know, I love Marvel Comics. I love, I really do. And I have since I was a child. So I've been reading these things for 40 years. But when you're beholden to corporate over- overlords, there's only so much you can do and within canon. And I do not believe that primary character does, um, which is what Kurt is, primary character has love child out of wedlock to married woman while well, they're both brainwashed in an alternate yeah. universe. Yeah, it, too, <laughs> too much. It, like they're never, never going to happen canon wise. I agree with that. I see the part of me, the real housewives lore part of me is like, oh, yes, queen, let's make it happen because oh, it's yeah. going to be drums. Would but be brilliant. The, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> great drama, but the Excalibur lover of me is like, we will never have an Excalibur story again. It will just never happen again. There's just, there's no way you could bring the team back together after that. It's just never, you know, it's just would never happen. I, uh, I'm very against the idea that like, I know what you mean about drama. Like definitely it would be drama. And would I read a fan fiction about it? Probably. But I just, the oh, yeah. fact that they were both brainwashed in that world yeah. and it raises a lot of questions about consent and I just don't want a baby to be conceived under those terms. Yeah. Yeah. It's just true. a bit icky. Well, so it is icky, and I think it's a story that. So it's you can icky. tell an icky story. Yeah, I know there could be well, ways to do it, but and, I, it, there are ways to do it. It is um, a storyline that happens a couple of times in um, over the years, but specifically in Days of Our Lives, a fan, another fandom of mine. Um, Days of Our Lives. I love. It is, this, it is it it is how Belle and Sean have um, their first kid. They are not in their right mind when they have sex. She's married to someone else at the time. She's married to Philip, and they committed to it. And that has been canon in their world for oh Jesus. I guess that's been it's been like twenty years now, 15, 20 years. And I think it's interesting, and I think you can do it. I do not believe Marvel will. And it did it, and they did deal with the you know quite responsibly for a daytime soap. They dealt with the question of was there consent here. You know, what what does this mean? Like they, you know, they dealt with the ethical questions of this. So I would love to see them do it. But there's a point of no return when you when you're doing that, when you are making a conscious choice to deal with a very complicated subject forever. And it would change so many characters and so many character relationships. And there'd have to be Mm -hmm. so much coordination even across the line. And I'm just like, I just don't see the impulse to do that, I guess. There's no there's no easy reset button. But I mean, so in particular with Wanda, um, one of the characters who they have been willing to over the years several times to blow up her entire world in very surprising ways. Like, um, it seems odd now because it's been so long, but erasing her kids was a massively controversial decision when it happened 20 years ago. That was not done lightly, and it said a lot when they did it with ramifications that we're still dealing with today, including on the TV show, which I think I understand why Anna likes the character. But given where the comics were real time at the time when I was reading them, erasing Wanda's kids 
was the right decision because the character had been stagnant. They weren't doing anything with her. They should have, they should have been, they probably could have been, you know, they could have done good stories, but they were literally doing nothing with Vision and Scarlet Witch in, I mean, Lisa, you've caught the West Coast Avengers, the B team, and that's what they were. That's how Marvel, that's how Marvel treated them at the time. So this was something, it was a consequential decision, which for, and and by the way, the storyline where they do that, where they actually erase the kids is also awful. It's, it's poorly written. It's not great work on Burns part, but most stories like that are unfortunately. Right. But it's it a was very but it wasn't yeah. hurtful, kind of vengeful, like angry yeah. story. You know, like I'm gonna erase this thing because like I'm doing a thing and I'm mad. And I'm mad. And it's yeah, it's 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 poorly written, but it's I mean, as a fan, it was it was a swing. It's a swing and a miss, but it was a swing rather than just doing a story where nothing happens. And that and I appreciated that. And I think Wanda can be more. Uh, there's a book called Wonder Women by Lillian Robinson. Yes, Robinson. Yeah. Yes. And she makes the argument in there that Wanda is a perfect character to explore non-monogamy with, with her feelings versus a vision versus Simon, if you consider them to be separate characters. And she's right. And Marvel has never touched it. And that's kind of, you know, what I would rather see. And I've, you know, I've talked about like this before on, on this show, you can get away with these things much more, the more obscure your character is. And Wanda and Kurt are not obscure. Oh, You're absolutely right. There's nothing I'd love more than for just like Kurt, or not Kurt, I'm, and I'm getting all confused. There's nothing I'd like more than for like Wanda and Simon and Vision and their queer children to just all be a wonderful queer family together. Yeah, that would be, be great. I'd, I'd buy infinite issues of that comic book. Mm hmm. And we will never get that comic book. Nope. <laughs> I mean, maybe one day. I mean, it's. Yeah, I shouldn't be so doom and gloom. We could get that comic book. I will be hopeful and say that I right. hope that we get that comic book. At we, some point. They are pushing further with the idea of non-heteronormative relationships in Krakoa than I would. Like if you'd shown me what House of X became and like the even though it's coded, I get it. Why I get why people want it to be straight up. But like the relationship between Gene and Logan and Scott and maybe Emma that is going on in the comics right now, I find fascinating. And I would have never believed you if you told me that they would have they would have gone even as far as they have five years ago. I would have been like, no, come on, they're, they're not going to do that. But they have. I agree with that. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. You know, let's talk about this issue for a little bit. <sighs> Just to just to do it justice, like a little bit. I'm going to come to you, Andrew, because we haven't had a lot of you on this podcast. Is there anything that you want to say about this issue? <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Like, is there anything interesting about this issue that you do want to talk about? Or are we going to continue with our filibuster of not talking about it for this entire episode? I love that we call it a filibuster. That's good. That was an Andrew, yeah. <laughs> I do have a way that we could make this thing go on without talking about the issue, which is to think about what Anna had said about this being a video game. Because this would be like 16-bit Sega Genesis, choose your <laughs> level, and then you get the power up when you fight the level. Uh, so it looks like it's an open game. We could talk about the mechanics and all that kind of stuff. But no, what I would maybe like to say about it that I think is interesting is the absence. One of the things that we notice in the transition from Claremont to Lobdell is the lack of emotional character beats. Uh, and like, this is limbo. There's a lot of opportunities here to reflect upon Ilyana and kitty's relationship to reflect upon megan's transformation in inferno for nightcrawler to reflect upon his his personal appearance and his association with being a demon well in um, his dark self that. that exists in like the limbo space which is like a huge deal. yeah there, there's so many ways you could advance the character arcs here and none of that is happening and i think that's a thing that Lubdell really needs to cultivate and he will later on um that we're, we're we're missing here um for my money you know it's you hit the nail on the head when you said that 
because I'm as I was reading it, I couldn't figure out what was missing until you said that because I'm reading it and I was like, this this could be a story about any characters, you know, like just you could have put any characters in this story and it would have been the exact same story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was trying to come up with something about is there something interesting about the pairings that we get here? Because in theory, that's interesting. We had these unconventional team ups. I mean, it's like Megan teaming up with Iron Man. That's interesting. And yet it's not interesting. And even, Uh, you know, there's a reason that we didn't talk about sort of the Scarlet Witch um, Nightcrawler thing here because just not a lot happens with this interaction with them here even though i wanted to i mean they spoke german to each other and then they shamed they shamed the demon for not being able to speak more than one language well i'm sorry i can't speak more than one language (laughs) i'll I'll drop the gimmick for a moment because there is one thing interesting about it which is to me oh and actually i'll drop it and i'll explain my joke from my my introduction of myself this one this reads like someone who and this was at this time when this came out this guy was me this reads like it was written by someone who decided to um, set up their official their their Marvel superhero role playing game campaign based on having read all of the Marvel Universe handbook because this was <laughs> written by someone this was written by someone who wanted to go, who who said I'm putting Darkoff in a book that's what I'm doing Labdell wrote this like he had notes of like how this is going to work because oh well of course Wanda and Kurt would be able to both speak German that's a thing because they're both from Europe. I know because I read their bios, right? Like, oh but there, God, there's so no, funny. there's no reason for them to speak German. This and also like he notices she speaks German because she knows the word doppelganger. That's yeah, I just know. A word, okay. <laughs> Not that's a word in English. I know. Like, like yeah, literally. I saw that too. And then they speak German just to do it, and then they speak like very basic German where where he's like they translate it right away. Well, here's what I actually said, and she's I, let's switch dance partners why would you say it that way no reason because it's trying to be smart to make the role-playing game campaign interesting they've gone off on side missions like role-playing games this is what it is and it's just like a it's the filler episode between this is um step two of a three-act play and this is the fiddler act in the middle where where the team is broken up into smaller pairings of interesting characters that might make sense together for no reason other than the fact that we've not used them together before. And then we do something with them that is clever, but ultimately meaningless. I'm actually being serious now in that I think it's good that Lobdell is trying something different, but it also really feels like he's just doing some patchwork. He's using Darkop, a character nobody cares about, a character that is so little cared about that that after next issue, we are never going to speak of him again to this day. <laughs> like to, 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 um he, you know, he tries to make other plays happen because there's a note by like the fact that he understands that this this limbo is not a mortis's limbo. Claremont named his version of you know space-time other other place he called it limbo and Marvel was already using limbo and so he's like no it's a different one because it just is <laughs> and yet this never really is a problem for anybody reading comics it's something that mark grinwald mentions in the marvel handbook uh, the marvel universe handbook as he, that there are two limbos and that they are minorly related through a gap in space time i know because i read the entire handbook right but this is like something that, like no one actually cares about except for nerds like me and apparently scott labdell 
And that's and so much so that he tried to make other plays happen. And it tries really, really hard several times in this book where Doom literally has a conversation of like, well, it can't be the true limbo because in the true limbo, time doesn't pass. And it's like, come on, you're 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 being a nerd. You're well actually in the middle of the plot. And it's weird. <laughs> that's and that's my feeling on it. That's a pretty good summation of it. Yeah. I mean, my feeling of it was just sort of like so much goofy demon dialogue written yeah. in like hard to read light text on dark bubbles and i was just tired reading this comic <laughs> yeah i felt the same way i like i said i had to put it down a couple times because it was like oh this is this is just a chore to get through this and in the beginning when they're like dr doom who wields the soul sword like why are you asking me why are you asking me i don't like i don't know does he okay like it's just why are, it's, i don't understand why that was a question I mean, the only thing I really enjoyed was just how, like, Brian and Megan just don't know anything about American superheroes at all. Like, Simon shows up and Brian's like, who the hell are you? Like, you should be, what, are you Superman? Megan knew stuff last issue. She was like, Dr. Doom, I watch him on TV. And then she's like, who are the West Coast Avengers? Who's, who is, who is Wonder Man? This makes no sense. (laughs) That is strange from Megan's perspective, but from Brian's perspective, I like it because he just, well, I mean, it also doesn't really make any sense since Brian like knows a lot of the American superheroes and he's buddies with Spider-Man, his old roommate and stuff. So it's still weird from his perspective, but I like it on a comedy level. I mean, like according to like, according to like comic timeline, they just, they just did Inferno like two weeks ago. So like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like they were just there so i don't also, know <laughs> it's 19 it's 1991 in canon right now in the universe simon is super famous simon yeah, is like, right. uh, like not as not oh. as wonder man simon williams is like uh, the rock famous right now in comics he is a he is yeah. a, he is <laughs> dwayne johnson famous he is a world-renowned movie star who also happens to be a superhero yeah megan should know who he is and frankly brian should know who he is brian doesn't know who wonder or who simon williams is but does know about superman comics but not enough to say the name like it's so weird what are you well, doing yeah that's my issue with the human <laughs> in it because i do find the brian's ignorance thing funny but then as you're saying it doesn't make any sense because megan wouldn't have the same ignorance so it's like you're just doing the joke wrong yeah (laughs) yeah totally i i do like i like brian not knowing i would love it if megan knew and megan was like obsessed with him and brian Mm. didn't know and megan's like i talk about him all the time and he's just and it's just like i just don't pay attention sorry just wrote a better story (laughs) way better way better I also, just as a note, in this book, everyone acknowledges non-ironically that Brian is leader of the team for some reason. I'm like, he is not. <laughs> He's not. Kurt the team. Like Kurt always, like Kurt speaks for the team. It's the never, book, it's never explicitly said through up until this point. Up until this point, Brian always assumed he was leader of the team. Everyone treats Kurt like he is. There's no official leader, and it's and like true. there's a lot of Brian being stupid. What did you say? <laughs> I said it's Rachel. It's it's yeah, yeah, it's Rachel or Kitty. But like here, it's like, oh, it's a lot of, oh, well, you know, don't tell Brian and Brian's in charge. I'm like, he is? Yeah. No one thinks that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Only I also didn't, I didn't understand like all these things about like the, the, all the demons like talking to each other, like, oh, we're getting smaller. Oh, why didn't you use that power before? And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm Wolverine. No, I'm Wolverine. What am I, am I supposed to like, what's going on? 
They're Looney right. Tunes in this thing. Yeah, yeah it's like slapstick quote. Looney Tunes stuff <laughs> that just really doesn't land. It's just weird. And we 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 have to talk about the art. We have yeah, to, right? Go for it. Sure. <laughs> we talked we talked about it a bit last issue. So give us your take on it, Lisa. Mm-hmm. All right. So I mean, okay, I'm an art dealer by trade, so I work I work in the arts. I am very much of the belief there's no such thing as a bad artist. There's no such thing as a bad artist. I looked up Mark Badger's other artwork. He actually is a great artist. He's a great artist. Um, yeah. He's a phenomenal artist. This <laughs> really is just great. this is this is not his best work. Not and bad. It's it's unfortunate um, because his style is just not conducive to this kind of story either. It's not even a matter of like, it's clear that this was rushed, but also his style is just not good for this type of storytelling. And it's it makes it that much more confusing because half the time I don't even know who the hell like there was one point where Rachel was speaking as the Phoenix and I thought she was one of the demons because her thought bubble kind of looked like the demon's thought bubble. And I was like, Oh wait, no, that's Rachel. So yeah, it gets very confusing, but at the same time, I don't want to come down too hard on him because I know that, you know, for a lot of these filler stories, you know, they get guys last minute to come in. I mean, he's not the yeah. usual penciler for this story, for this book at the time. Right. But this is so, a, yeah, so he, a two. He's, he's done three. This is his, this is his second issue of it. So it's not like if he was rushed for last issue, that would be something. But he would have had at least a month here, at least. Yeah, but if you if you read this story, would you really put your all into it? No, 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 <laughs> no. I would not. I would... It very much stylistically reminds me of that cartoon and comic book, The Max. Do you guys remember that? Yes, that's one of the great from the nineties. Yeah, Andrew like... Andrew definitely remembers that and teaches it, I believe. Oh, yeah. really? I think I wrote oh, wow. it somewhere too, but I don't remember. Oh my gosh, I <laughs> don't remember. I have not. It was a while ago. Okay. That's amazing. I, I haven't spoken about it in a very long time. I used to watch it when it was on MTV, like the, the TV show. But, yeah, um, the oddities. Yeah, yes. But that this style reminds me very much of that. That kind of very, like, very harsh lines, very angular, uh, you know, a lot of dark, that kind of, the, you know, the, the characters and the images kind of are coming from the dark rather than, you know, our light tones. And it's it's very, it's a cool style. But again, it just, it doesn't work with the story. It confuses it too much. I mean, I don't think any art could save this story if we're going to be real no, that's fair. True, that's so true, that's true. Alan Davis couldn't save this story. By the way, Kitty does a murder here again. We talked about this before, but Kitty, like, completely inconsequentially just murders some people. Well, I mean, they're demons, but, like... Oh, demons don't count. They do count because Kitty... <laughs> uh, they, uh, they No, well, they, uh, so they count in that Kitty is aware that the it's not like these are like these are just robots or something kitty is aware of the sentience of demons from limbo she's hung out here before she knows where she is she knows that they're feeling creatures and you know oh well and she very casually and intentionally murders some, some of them you know it's a fight but, oh well she phases them yeah. together which is nightmare yes yes yeah. and then and then they explode which is a weird again i'm a big player of the marvel superheroes role-playing game she does this power stunt that she spends some karma points so that she can use her powers in a way not have never been used before but apparently she can phase things together and they're going to blow up and she seems to know it's going to happen because she's like duck you know so so it's she's like homer simpson she's homer simpson making cereal and like anything she does (laughs) things explode i mean yeah can i just mention mav when you were talking about their character moments how their character beats are or the character moments are kitty kind of uses her powers differently and kurt gets his powers back and then you mentioned before about how this really just kind of seems like a D &D campaign or it just seems like a role i mean like the character beats are just level ups right yeah like it's 
essentially. It's basically just, they're just leveling up. They're not really progressing as characters. Right. They'll pretend that Megan does next issue, and but also she doesn't. Any any final thoughts before we leave this mid part of Prometheum Exchange in the rear view? Um, never again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, am I ever gonna read this comic book again in my lifetime? That's an interesting question. Probably not a very interesting question because probably the answer is almost certainly no. You say that, but <laughs> you never know what podcast you're gonna be recording one day. It's true. And you're gonna have to pull it out again. That's true. <laughs> Your least favorite comics. This <laughs> is like the podcast (laughs) the flop cast (laughs) i'm gonna do a quick fan letter before we completely wrap up and that's the last thing we're gonna do so i just wanted to highlight the end of a letter from way west in puerto rico they say sometime back i saw a version of opal luna saturnine take courtney ross's place is she still doing so with what purpose might i ask also i'd like to see excalibur defeat jamie braddock for once see you around And this is Terry Cavanaugh's response about the Courtney Saturnine confusion. Seems lots of you out there would like the Courtney Ross Opal Lunal Saturnine issue cleared up. So way, Courtney Ross and Saturnine are one and the same. Sort of. Dot, dot, dot. And that's it. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) You might want to clear it up, but dot, dot, dot. That's that's nice. Thanks. Thanks for that. I mean, to be fair, we're still working on, I mean, like, it, it's a story that's in progress. And by in progress, I mean now, you know, 30 years yeah. later. <laughs> Forever be in progress, yeah. I guess that's what the ellipsis indicates. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, he was predicting. He knew that they were going to get to it, you know. And That's just, 20, it's just so funny. 21. I can't imagine, I just can't imagine being this guy and, like, seeing that they put my article my uh, letter in and being like oh my god they put my letter in and then seeing the answer and being like oh, oh. <laughs> like, how what kind of answer is that not satisfying <laughs> if way west is listening he wants to write in and just let us know how his life has been and whether or not he's just spent the last <laughs> couple of decades going why why <laughs> you know <laughs> we're here for you way my pride broke it my rage broke it this excellent knight who fought with fairness and grace was meant to win I used Excalibur to change that verdict I've lost for all time the ancient sword of my fathers whose power was meant to unite all men not to serve the vanity of a single man So Lisa, thank you ever so much for joining us to talk about this issue or avoid talking about this issue as the case may be. Um, But before we go, we need to remind our lovely listeners about all the wonderful things that you get up to and where they can find you online. So plug your stuff, remind us of the stuff that our listeners should check out, which I know that they will be very interested to check out. Absolutely. Um, Well, I have two podcasts. Uh, My current podcast is Simply Amazing, which is our Nightcrawler podcast. We have a website that I just put up. It's uh, simplyamazingpod.com where you can find all of our links to everything. You can also follow us on Twitter at simplyamazingpod, but it's spelled simply A-M-Z-I-N-G pod. Um, We're also on Instagram, but all the links are on the website so you can find it all there. And you can find me if you're just looking for me at the OG Nocturne, that's spelled 
N-A-C-H-T-U-R-N-E on Twitter. I actually coined that nocturne with the word knocked, but someone took it from me on Twitter. I can't believe that. And they won't give it back. So. <laughs> Well, as we've discussed on the previous pod, someone else has Anna Papard handle and people have tagged them on super sex stuff before. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> who? I want to know who this other Anna Papard is and what their re- reaction to that is. That's hilarious. How, how, how dare them use your name? <laughs> I know. How dare they? Um, but yeah, and I think I'm supposed to be coming on your pod in not too long. I don't know yes. which pod will end up coming out first, but I noticed on your, I'm supposed to come on to talk about Sexy Nightcrawler with you, but you know, oh, yes. I noticed that on your spreadsheet, you indicated that you were anticipating that being an After Dark episode. So <laughs> we don't know what place this is going to go to. We, yeah, we're just going to let it happen and and see, um, see what's usable at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to be there now. I don't even have to, I don't even have to talk. I just want to watch. Well, you can <laughs> listen to it when it comes out. <laughs> but it's yeah, going to be fun. Thank you so much again for joining us, Lisa. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. I had so much fun not talking about Excalibur today. <laughs> I talked a lot about Excalibur. That's true. We did. We did. <laughs> just didn't talk a lot about Prometheum Exchange. No. That's true. So next, in one week's time, we'll be on to episode 40, discussing Excalibur 39, The Heart of the Matter, in which the Prometheum Exchange roars to its epic conclusion, maybe? Uh, we still got one <laughs> issue to turn it around, so it's possible. We'll have another great guest, though, with us to help us uh, navigate our disappointment. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out that there are video episodes for several of our earlier episodes, which you can find via the Vox Pop YouTube channel or our website, of course. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter, at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from what Ever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another demonic conversation. Thank you, Lisa, for helping make it angelic. Thank you all for listening. And a special thanks to Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. I struggle with the puns, but I try. (laughs) That was awesome.